Hello, and welcome to AARC Perspectives, where we will talk with members of the respiratory care community and learn about the experiences caring for patients and building the profession. I'm Doug Lair, Associate Executive Director at the American Association for Respiratory Care, and will serve as your host for today's episode. Since 1947, the AARC has been leading the effort to advance the respiratory care profession and promote high-quality, cost-effective, patient-centric respiratory care. The respiratory care profession is ever-growing and evolving thanks to the dedicated respiratory therapists around the world. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, As you will have seen or heard by our introduction, we have a very special guest on today, Dr. Shauna Strickland, uh, one of the most talented professionals I know in any scope of work anywhere I've ever worked. And she means an awful lot to the American Association for Respiratory Care. Years ago as a volunteer, but most recently as a paid staff employee who helps serve our membership and our patients. This is a bit of a melancholy moment for me because um, Dr. Strickland will be leaving us at the end of this week. And she has meant an, an awful lot to the association over the past several years. And we just didn't want her to leave without sharing with her how much we appreciate all of her talents and efforts over the many years in her role as Associate Executive Director. And just to learn a little bit more about her, the opportunity that she's going to be pursuing upon exit of the AARC, and just get some reflections from her uh, on what some of her proudest accomplishments were during her time here, some of the work that she's done, and uh, what she's going to miss most. So, Shauna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Doug. I am very happy to be here. So why don't we start off? I think most of our listeners probably know you as Dr. Strickland, the Associate Executive Director at the AARC. They might have an opportunity to interact with you, uh, hear your voice on all of our webcasts and journal casts, and then have an inter- uh, an opportunity to interact with you at our live meetings. But probably not a lot of them know about who you are as a person. Uh, if they follow your, your Twitter handle, uh, they probably do. But um, I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, what your life was like before the AARC, and what it is outside of the AARC. Absolutely. I uh, grew up in Southern Illinois, not Chicago, uh, very Southern Illinois. And yes, I am a coal miner's daughter. So pulmonary disease has been a staple of my life from a variety of perspectives, uh, mostly COPD. A lot of my family um, were smokers back in the day before smoking uh was really identified as primary cause for COPD. And so a lot of my family have had um, tobacco-related illnesses. Um, Not a whole lot of coal mining-related illnesses, thankfully, but uh, we did live in a a fairly large coal mining community. So when I decided to go to college, I knew that I needed something that was going to be a stable career. I really didn't have an idea of what that was going to be. And my aunt was the executive assistant for the dean of the College of Applied Sciences and Art, Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. And so on one of those high school days, 
that you get to go to college and you get to, you know, take the tours and do all the things. Um, she invited me to spend the day with her and she sent me to all of the health professions that they had in the school, which was outstanding. So dental hygiene and radiologic technology. They even had a mortuary science program. I was not interested in that. No offense to anyone in the, in the audience who is in the mortuary <laughs> sciences, but that's not up my alley. And I also met the respiratory therapy director and thought to myself, you know, I think this is something that I could do. You know, there was meaning. I had a frame of reference. Uh, it was relevant to me and my family. And and quite frankly, it was uh, a curriculum that I thought I could do. Uh, as a high school senior, I wasn't overly confident in my ability to succeed in college. Um, and I'll be honest, I wasn't the greatest student uh, right out of high school. But I did uh, attend SIU Carbondale. I earned my associate degree in respiratory therapy. And uh, funny story, at the time, all I could think of was getting my CRT. And that was it. I wasn't going to pick up a book again. I wasn't going to study. I wasn't going to take another test, nothing. And I moved to Houston and worked for a brief time at Texas Children's Hospital. Um, but during the interview process at Texas Children, the um, the director of the of the department called and said, you know, I got your resume from HR. And, you know, that was a long time ago. There were no emails. There were no electronic applications. Sure. Everything was telephone and, and postal mail and going down to the hospital and filling out an application. And, and he said, I see here that you've passed your CRT. And I said, yes, sir, I have. And he says, so that means that you're eligible to take the RRT examination this coming December, you know, at a time when it was only offered a couple times a year. And I had about 30 seconds to make a decision. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and I got off the phone with him and I picked up the phone and I called the NBC or NBRC and I got my credit card out. And that's the fabulously inspiring story of why I became an RRT because I wanted that job. Um, but, you know, I spent some time in Houston and then I moved back to the Midwest and worked for a time in St. Louis and uh, loved my job, loved the kids that I worked with. My background is predominantly pediatrics and high-risk transport. Loved my kids, loved transport, loved my colleagues, but I wanted something more and I didn't know what I wanted. So I went back to school and earned my bachelor's degree in healthcare management, worked for a little bit bit longer and decided there, there has to be something else. I'm not quite sure where I fit. And so a dear friend and colleague of mine, Monica Schibig, called at the time. She was a program director at a local respiratory care program. And she said, I need some adjunct faculty. And I think you do a good job. And I thought, well, we'll see what this education thing is all about. And it didn't take long before I fell in love with education. But I realized that I was a really great respiratory therapist, but I really didn't know how to be an educator. So that's when I decided to go further my degree. And I earned a master's of education from uh, University of Missouri in St. Louis. And because I had such a fabulous, fabulous advisor, uh, the late Mary Cooper, I continued on and earned my doctorate in education leadership and policy studies. And at that point, I had transitioned to Columbia, Missouri, and I worked at the University of Missouri, MIZ, and um, was a program director there for a period of time. And during that time, after moving to St. Louis and through my time in Columbia, uh, a fabulous network of colleagues and friends pulled me into volunteering for the Missouri Society for Respiratory Care. And I served in a variety of roles, committee member, committee chair, chapter president, you know, smaller uh, support roles, but really prepared me well for bigger roles. And so one of my mentors, Billy Lamb, 
who passed away several years ago, called me one afternoon and he said, you know, I really want you to think about running for the delegate position uh, for the Missouri Society to the AERC House of Delegates. And he and I talked for a long time. You know, Billy, if you knew Billy, you knew that he was focused on doing the right thing every time, putting the patient first and making sure that you didn't just con people into doing what you wanted them to do. They needed to have all the information, the good, the bad, the opportunity, the barriers. And so we talked for a, a prolonged period of time, and he talked me into going onto the ballot. Unfortunately, I ran against Brent Kenny, who many people also <laughs> know, and I lost that race. But, you know, Brent is, is a great friend. He's a fabulous, he was a fabulous delegate. He is retired now. And so a couple of years later, when it became time for the next round of delegations to go on the ballot, Billy called again and he said, are you going to get back on the ballot? And I said, I don't know. Brent won last time. I'm, I'm feeling away, sure, you know, and, sure. and, and he said, no, he said, just because Brent won the last time doesn't mean that you can't be an effective delegate, you know, just because you've faced one piece of adversity doesn't mean that stops you from what you want to achieve. And then I talked with Brent who said the same thing. He said, I'd love to have you as a co-delegate. I really think you do a great job. You need to go on this ballot. And so I went on the ballot and it was a very heavy ballot that year. A lot of really amazing respiratory therapists were on that ballot and I won the seat. And that I think really started me down the path of becoming more engaged with the AARC. Sitting in that room with 110 delegates and officers from around the U.S. was one of the most awe-inspiring moments of my career. Up until that point, I had been one of very few people who were engaged and passionate at my level that, that I interacted with on a regular basis um, in that specific way. And so to sit in a room where the other people were at minimum as passionate as me, if not more, was was just this amazing event. And I remember telling um, Brent on the, the second day of the first House of Delegates meeting in Vail, uh, I believe that was 2011. 11. Yes, 2011. It was. Um, it was. Fabulous venue. Wonderful people. My friend Billy was Speaker of the House. And I remember Billy wrapping it up and, and calling the session complete. And I looked at Brent and I said, it can't be over yet. What do you mean it's over? And everybody around <laughs> me looked at me like, it's been 16 hours of nonstop work. What do you mean? I'm like, no, it's not over. This can't be over. Um, and, you know, the the impact that one meeting and all of those people had on me is, is just immeasurable. I met people whose names I had only seen um, and, and realized that these people were just real people. And they're, you know, they're just nice, good people. Um, and that was also the year that um, another mentor of mine, Cheryl Herr, introduced me to the program committee and Doug, that's where you and I met. Um, yep, so I volunteered for the program committee that year. And again, walked into a room of people whose names I had only heard. Um, when Dean Hess called me by name, I thought I would fall out of my chair. <laughs> All I could think of was this man knows my name. And then the next thing I thought of was don't make a fool out of yourself. Um, so, you know, sitting next to Patrick Dunn, and across the table from Sam Giordano, it was it was just this surreal moment. And so that one year, that one volunteer year impacted my life so dramatically, but I would have never achieved that one year of volunteerism excellence without the 10 years that I had put into volunteerism prior to that, right? Um, and, and so sitting in that moment 
working with the program committee, working with the AARC staff, working on with the delegates and, you know, developing all of this really amazing information that that was just um, at that time, it was the highlight of my career. I, I could not imagine making a bigger impact than that. And then at the summer forum of 2012, um, so that was the I joined the program committee at the end of 2011. So 2012 was the year of my program committee term. Um, I was at Summer Forum in uh, New Mexico that year. And Bill Dubbs, who had the job before I did, um, he and I were talking and, you know, I was telling him what a great time I was having. I was meeting all the people and and he was telling me about how he was retiring. And I said, oh, Bill, that's fantastic. And I went on and on about what he was going to do in retirement. And he finally said, Shauna, stop. I'm trying to figure out if you're interested in my job. Uh, and so, you know, it never occurred to me. It it literally never occurred to me that I could have a have employment at the AARC. And so my husband and I talked and um, at the time we were living in Mid Missouri, great job at the University of Missouri. And I said, what do you think about moving to Texas? And, you know, it, it, it took us aback. You know, this was a career path that sure. I had not, I had not thought about. It would take us further away from our families, mine still in Southern Illinois, his in Georgia, but it was just an opportunity that, that we just couldn't pass up. So I interviewed, I was offered the position and we moved here in, um, late December of 2012 so that I could start my job in January of 2013. So, um, you know, it, it feels like a long time. And at the same time, when I look back, it just seems like a blink of an eye, you know, you know, it feels like yesterday that I was a high school senior um, with two parents trying to help me pick a career path that I was going to be able to get a job in. Um, and, and then I look forward now. And I think if I had talked to that girl at 18, there's no way she would believe me. There's no way she would believe that that this was the career laid out for her. I, I'd like to to um, dig into that a little bit deeper. So, uh, your career path is 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 not unlike a lot of people. They get into one thing, they change, they realize their passions aren't necessarily aligned with where they want to go and what they want to do. You started off as an associate degree respiratory therapist who didn't want anything more than a CRT credential. You got the RRT credential. You went and got your bachelor's degree. You realized that you loved being a clinician, wanted more for yourself, um, wanted to learn more about teaching, got your master's degree, and subsequently your PhD. I mean, this is just an amazing story from so many different levels. And then you combine it with volunteerism, uh, serving on committees, serving on behalf of your state at, on, at several different levels at the AARC national level. And then you wind up at our doorstep in, um, in January of 2013. So it is, is, it is a path that is not unlike many others, but it's a path that I think as respiratory therapists, we want to communicate and portray to people that, that there is opportunity for growth beyond just doing what you're doing. Some people are doing what they're doing and, and love it. And that's great. And that's all they want to do for the rest of their careers, take care of patients at the bedside. And then there are other people that have aspirations to do more. They just don't know how to channel it. And degree advancement is one such opportunity, uh, moving into education. But I, you know, I think from, from your perspective and my perspective, we both spent an awful lot of time as volunteers for this organization and then 
lo and behold, we both end up as employees. And it's just, it's amazing. As you said, when you look back, you know, 20, 25 years ago, uh, where would, where would you be? Uh, here is not likely the place that you would identify. So, you know, I, I would say that, um, first of all, you're right. When I was 18, I remember, I guess I was 19. It was the second year of my, my college career. I started respiratory therapy school, hadn't quite turned 19 yet. So I could still say 18. And my professor on day two of the program slapped a piece of paper in front of us and said, fill it out. Bring me a check for $50. You're going to be a member of the AERC because this is what professionals do. And I can remember sitting in that weird carved out space on the first floor of the Casa building at SIU Carbondale thinking, I don't know what I've gotten myself into. But I became a (laughs) member on that day. And I have been a member of this organization ever since. It was a little bit more than 20 years ago, but we'll call it 20 years. Um, And I I can, you know, looking back, a lot of I talked to a lot of people about education and why they don't go forward and why they haven't taken the leap to to take further education and, and there are a lot of good reasons why people don't do that but I can honestly say that you know I owe a lot to my parents they never at any point in time said you cannot do this sure you know I mean I would come home with some crazy idea and nobody said to me well you can't go back to school well, you can't volunteer. I volunteered for an asthma camp in Northern Illinois. Um, gosh, long time ago. I won't even try to figure out what year it was. And I remember seeing an advertisement in the newspaper because, yes, it was that long ago. And I answered the ad and I told my mom, I said, I'm going to go spend a week in the woods with 150 asthmatic kids. She's like, you're crazy, <laughs> but have fun. You know, what on earth have you gotten yourself into? And, and the first day I showed up. I asked myself the same thing. I walked into this room of people who knew each other and they were given the hugs and they were having all this wonderful time. And all I could think of was, I know not a soul in this room. What am I, what am I doing here? And I, I signed myself in and I sat down at a little table waiting to see what would happen and hoping I made the right decision since I was five hours away from my home. And, and now very good friend sat down next to me and he said, hi, my name's Zach. Who are you? And <laughs> I, I talked to him. So many times, um, you know, that became another part of my family. So this this respiratory therapy decision that I made so many years ago has blossomed into this amazing opportunity to not only further my career, but also to enrich my personal life and 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 develop my circle of contacts and friends. And I I can trace ninety five percent of the most important people in my life, including my husband, back to my decision to become a respiratory therapist. You and I share uh, several professional friends and colleagues, uh, but to you, I know that so many of them are your your closest, dearest friends. You know, what are one or two top things that if, if you were to describe yourself, uh, what your life outside of the AARC is? So we've talked an awful lot so far about how the AARC has influenced your life. Um, animals, kids, you, you mentioned a husband. What do, you, what do you love doing outside of work? Yeah, so I am a wife daughter, sister, and cat mom. I, uh, my husband and I have been married for quite some time. Um, he is one of the most supportive people in my life, which is saying something considering that everybody in my life is supportive. My parents still live in Southern Illinois. I have a brother 
who's younger than me, um, quite a bit younger than me, but he, uh, he and I are very, very close and, and he influences me in a variety of ways. Cat mom to two cats, Evie and Zoe. Um, they're about three years old these days. And I don't hide this about myself. So a, a lot of people associate me with hockey. I don't play it, but I'm a huge fan. I've been a fan of hockey since I was a teenager. And um, it was one of the few sports that I would watch. So my dad declared it the family sport. So we would watch St. Louis Blues on TV because we were so close to St. Louis. Um, moving to Dallas. Now I'm a Dallas Stars fan. I've got an extraordinary amount of green in my closet these days. So love the Stars. Love watching the Stars. Season ticket holders. So, you know, when it's not a pandemic, we get to go watch hockey games. And I am a huge sci-fi nerd. Um, Star Trek, Star Wars, <laughs> Battlestar Galactica, you name it. Uh, not all of them. Uh, uh, there are some that I'm not a big fan of, but um, huge sci-fi nerd and, um, and, and love, love movies and books. Great story. Great story. I, 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 I wanted to make sure that we covered the hockey aspect. I didn't think that you'd forgive me if I didn't ask about that. So let's talk briefly about um, you are Associate Executive Director. That, that sounds like that's a mouthful. Uh, what does that actually mean and what are your job duties here currently at the AARC? Well, my job duties have morphed. Over the years, um, when I was hired in, it was to be the associate executive director only of education, which was great. But then that evolved over time to inherit customer service and membership. Uh, hashtag team awesome. And so this group of people are in charge of developing webcasts and on-demand programming and taking care of members and non-members. Interesting fun fact about the AARC, the majority of people who call us and get assisted by the AARC are not members. We don't discriminate hate against, you know, who we pick up the phone for. Um, but we we work with members and state affiliates and state leaders and making sure that everybody has what they need to do the job. The ultimate goal, of course, is to make sure that patients have safe and effective access to respiratory care, right? So all of the things that we do benefit the respiratory therapist so that the respiratory therapist can do a better job of taking care of patients. So I... I develop education. I review education. We talk about um, membership opportunities and we develop membership plans. And, and then I'm also a part of the executive leadership at the AERC. So uh, strategizing with the rest of the team and developing future initiatives, working with the board to achieve the horizon goals, um, which are not easy. Um, but, you know, uh, a lot of that takes a lot of thought, a lot of trial and error, a lot of brainstorming. There's, there's a lot going on um, to come to the the right conclusion on how to best achieve a certain aspect of that strategic plan. So after eight years and a couple of months, um, you will be leaving the association. I am. And um, it, that breaks my heart. Uh, you and I are, are close personal friends and colleagues, but it, it goes deeper than that. Tell me a little bit about where you're going and what your, what your role is going to be. So over time, I think I have changed my personal identity. Um, when I came here, I was a respiratory therapist working for an association. And then through the interactions with this amazing team of uh, the staff here at the AERC and through professional development opportunities that you and I have both had, um, I now identify as an association professional who happens to be a respiratory therapist. And so I have the opportunity to transition to the American Epilepsy Society to become their associate executive director for programs. And the uh, the focus of the Epilepsy Society is to eradicate 
epilepsy and all of its consequences. Over 3.4 million Americans uh, live with epilepsy and and my family has been impacted by epilepsy. So this mission really resonates with me. Um, it makes me feel like I can give back to my family. And it provides me with a really amazing opportunity to continue my leadership in the association world in, in a little bit of a different way. A lot of the job is exactly the same that I do now. A um, lot of education, a lot of clinical programming. They have some really unique programming for physicians who wish to become, new word for me, epileptologists. <laughs> and I also get to oversee the research and clinical practice guidelines initiatives. And, and I've been working on clinical practice guidelines for the AERC for the last decade. So, you know, thank you, Dean Hess, for not only recruiting me, but providing me with the opportunity to learn more about clinical practice guidelines, how to develop them, how to promote them, and, and best practices. Without that knowledge, I would not have been, um, I don't think I would have been well qualified for this job. So this is a meaningful opportunity for me to create um, more space for myself in the association world, give back to my family the way that I feel like I can contribute, um, but also expand the influence of the respiratory therapist. Um, you know, a lot of folks have contacted me and said, oh, you're getting out of the profession. Well, all right, let's face it. My RRT never expires, so I will never not be a respiratory <laughs> therapist. But here's the other thing. Respiratory therapists take care of patients with epilepsy, right? Yep. Just because somebody has epilepsy doesn't mean they don't have another chronic disease, right? Lots of comorbidities. And so that means that the respiratory therapist is probably going to interact with patients with epilepsy in some way, whether it's a patient who's in status epilepticus or a patient who is also asthmatic and they need to worry about how medications inter interfere with, um, with each other. So part of the new strategic plan for the American Epilepsy Society includes a huge interdisciplinary, interprofessional component and bringing in more allied health professionals into the care of the patient with epilepsy um, is part of, of what they plan to do, what we plan to do here in the next couple of weeks. That's a we. And I think that I'm well positioned absolutely, to be a part of this very interdisciplinary team already assembled at the AES that, that is ready to, to tackle that and provide education and programming that helps people who are living with epilepsy live a better life. You shared a story with me just this morning about a phone call that you had that you talk about this intersection, this interdisciplinary intersection between epilepsy and um, the opportunity for respiratory therapists. Can you talk a little bit about that? that phone call you had? Absolutely. So a researcher called, uh, the AARC has a program called Office Spirometry, and it helps teach non-respiratory therapists how to perform simple bedside spirometry. We're not talking about pul full pulmonary function. Most of the time, these folks work in physician's offices, and the physician's office needs a reliable basic spirometry test to identify whether or not somebody needs to be referred to a pulmonologist. So that's the, the basics behind the program. But also other other organizations like um, uh, research organizations have used this program to train their researchers on how to perform spirometry in the in the uh, context of their research. And so this researcher called and he said, I am a neurologist and I am leading this huge global research project with uh, epilepsy and we need to perform spirometry on our patients with epilepsy. I, I'm assuming, I don't know the details, but I'm assuming that they are 
experimenting with some sort of treatment. They want to make sure that lung function doesn't deteriorate over over this uh, this treatment or intervention of whatever they're doing. And so he said, you know, I wondered if this office spirometry program would be appropriate for us. Well, short story is, of course it is. And I gave him the information, but then I also responded back to him and I said, yeah, funny story. Um, I'm transitioning away from the ERC and I'm joining the AES. And so he's, he's also reached back out to me. So I have my first new contact, but, but at the same time, it just shows you that, you know, just like everything in healthcare, nothing's in a silo. The respiratory therapist is a vital part of the healthcare team, not just for critical care, not just for, patients with pulmonary disease. The respiratory therapist is a vital part of the entire healthcare team always in every situation, every situation. So no, I'm not leaving the profession. For all those people who think I'm leaving the profession, I'm not leaving the profession. I'm just not getting a paycheck from the AARC anymore. (laughs) So you've been involved in an awful lot of uh, successful endeavors and projects that you've worked on. You mentioned CPGs with with Dean Hess and many, many other talented uh, members of the AARC. Uh, Are there any projects or, or collaborations that you've been involved in that stand out to you? So many. I tell you what, that's probably the, the, I can't say the one because there are so many, but one of the big takeaways from the AERC is so many opportunities. Um, you know, in addition to meeting all of these people every year at our meetings, oh my gosh, how amazing is that? I've had some opportunities to do some really amazing things. Collaborations with folks like the AAMI Foundation on patient safety and on their Alarms Coalition and Complex Technologies, um, the Alarms Coalition that led to a publication with uh, Brady Scott and Connie Dills, um, the working with Rich Branson and Dario Rodriguez on the Strategic National Stockpile, the ventilator workshops over the years, the, the amazing people that we've met through our CDC tips campaign collaborations, working with the Smoking Cessation Leadership Center, being able to, to be on camera. Oh my gosh. I never thought I would want to be on camera to do anything. <laughs> and then, and then we went out to AMS studios to record professors rounds and I was hooked. I love that stuff. I've, I've had so much fun and we received the AERC received a grant a few years ago, um, from Pfizer to develop a tobacco cessation course. And we had these little vignettes. And so we recruited people from the office and, and some volunteers and some new students and family members and whatever to, to record these, um, these little vignettes, these little, you know, five minute stories. And so my husband and I both got to be actors for a day. Um, I don't know if I could do it for the long term, but that was a whole lot of fun. Um, and, and, you know, just a lot of really, unique opportunities. But, you know, beyond the fun part, the clinical practice guidelines are probably some of my my favorite because they are so not easy. They are so difficult to develop and there's so much detail and diligence and rigor involved in developing them that in the moment it's stressful and it's time consuming and you're working with these great volunteers who are trying hard to do the same thing and you get to a point where it's it, it's so overwhelming but you know you're just motivated to to barrel through and finish it up and then it gets published and you're like this is the coolest thing of my career right because all of this hard work my hard work and the rest of the team's hard work and the hard work of the reviewers to to critically review the content and send it back and the the edit process just an, an amazing an amazing thing and then probably um 
one of the highlights of my career has been working on the Advanced Practice Respiratory Therapist Committee. I've been involved with that since I believe it was Frank Salvatore in his presidency convened that committee and published a couple of papers, did a huge needs assessment, worked with some amazing folks trying to push the profession to to develop this advanced practice provider who is focused on cardiopulmonary care. And so to see the the gang at, at the Ohio State University develop the first APRT program and they're getting ready to graduate the first group of students. And the Ohio Society is working with the medical board to get the first the first license together. It, it's just it is I, I don't think that people recognize the momentous occasion that this is. This is history being mm-hmm. written. And it is so cool to be a part of that and to see that develop and and to know I had a little part of that. Um, so, so many opportunities, so many amazing opportunities. But, you know, I think that's, I think the key is it was an opportunity. I was provided with the, with the chance to sit at the table. What I did with that chance, what I did with the opportunity, um, you can't force that. That has to be part of, you know, what you want to achieve in your life and your commitment to excellence. And, and I'm not saying this because I'm, I think I'm special or unique. I'm saying this to the folks out there who get invited to the table. Um, you know, we try to provide these inclusive environments and we, we try to make sure that all of the voices are there and, and we have that diversity of thought and we have the various perspectives represented. But once you get to the table, now it's up to you. You have yep. to follow through and you have to make the difference. And and I think that's the key. I've had a lot of people pushing me over the years. I've had a lot of people pushing me in good ways and that has helped me out. I've had a lot of people pushing me in bad ways and that just makes me even more determined. <laughs> so, you know, this this opportunity to work at the AERC, um, I feel like it fell in my lap. Um, it was almost like a dream getting this job and, and being here. And I have loved uh, every minute. Even the good, the bad, and the weird. I have loved every minute of this job, and um, I'm going to miss it. I am ready for a new change and a challenge, and the opportunity to expand respiratory therapists into new realms of healthcare, and to and to advocate for the patient with epilepsy. I am ready for this, um, but man, I'm going to miss this team. So that that's a perfect segue into my next question. What are you going to miss the most? Oh, that's a good question, Doug. Um, there are so many things to miss. The camaraderie of this team, the uh, excitement. There is there is literally nothing, nothing like seeing that opening ceremony at Congress come together. And to be there when the lights go down and the music comes up and, and know what amount of work went into that meeting and that one hour and a half experience. And, and you feel the energy and you've got, you know, this room packed full of people, um, that energy that comes from being on the stage and talking with a large group of, of respiratory therapists and and being an open forum and listening to all of this great new research from all of these people, students and respiratory therapists and, and people who have collaborated in that space for years and people who have never done it before and, the, and they're, they're stepping out of their comfort zone and they're doing it for the same, for the first time. Walking on Capitol Hill and advocating for the profession. I, there are so many things, but I think I'll miss this team the most. 
I don't think people understand the composition of the AARC executive office because, you know, Doug, they see us a lot. People see your face. They see my face. They hear my voice. Um, they hear the volunteer leadership, of course, and they see the volunteer leadership. But unless you've been to Congress and you're looking really hard, um, you don't really recognize the amount of talent that is at this office. These people are association professionals, they're IT professionals, they're accounting professionals, they're marketing professionals, communication professionals, social media. These people are are experts in their area and they are working together to get the message out to respiratory therapists. Uh, In some cases, on a very short timeline. You know, one of the things that that comes to mind is the very beginning of the pandemic and how we had no information and the information was changing every day. And I felt like we were going to this team every day with change the website, add to the website, get this booked, move this, this page needs to be changed. And, um, and these people worked around the clock to make sure that the respiratory therapist was supported, um, even at a time when we had to spin on a dime. And, and go remote. And everybody had to work from their home. And we weren't set up to be a remote company. We didn't have that infrastructure. But this team complained not 1%. They picked it up. They went home. We piecemealed everything together. We made sure the phones were still ringing. Um, we used personal cell phones for a while until we got everything hooked up. I these this team this team has done so much for the profession um and i don't think that that folks really see that um and there are so many ways there is not a single project that happens at the AERC that isn't touched by the entire staff from the accounting team to make sure that the bills are paid and the grants are coming in and that the volunteers get their honoraria to the IT department that basically makes everything run to our project management staff and our membership team and our customer service team to make sure that the member has exactly what they need to access all of that. The marketing and communications team to make sure that it is uh, accessible and, and developed and marketed and, and that people know about it. And the conventions and meetings team tying it all together to bring us this amazing meeting at the end of the year that showcases everything that the respiratory therapist needs to know. There is not a single project that isn't touched by everybody in this organization. So while people tell me that they're going to miss me, and I feel that I'm, I'm going to miss people too. Um, and I'm glad that people are going to miss me. It makes me feel good. Um, <laughs> I'm not really going anywhere other than, you know, my email address is going to be different. But um, while I, I like that people say that they're going to miss me, I want people to also understand that the core of this organization isn't going anywhere. We work with a really, really, really talented group of dedicated professionals here. And uh, I echo your sentiments. And and I know they hear you. Uh, you tell it to them every day. Uh, that's why they love you. And I'm sure that they'll all be pulling some tissues out hearing you sing their praises today. So real quick, before before we let you go, I know that... Um, that Friday is your last day. Today is Tuesday. So I, I would be remiss if I didn't share a couple of, of closing comments of my own. You you remember uh, the movie Jerry Maguire, do you not? I do. 
Yes. So good movie. Um, uh, Tom Cruise is one of my favorite actors. So Jerry Maguire is the sports agent and Cuba Gooding Jr. is his, 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 uh, the athlete that he represents. His name's Rod Tidwell. And, uh, Rod tells him, tells Jerry one day that he wants the Quan. And Jerry says, Quan, that's your word. What, what is Quan? And he says, man, dudes, they can, they can get the coin, but they'll never get the Quan. And so Jerry says to him, he goes, well, what does Quan mean? And he says, it means love, respect, and community. He says, I want the entire package. I want the Quan. And Jerry says, that's a pretty cool word. So when I think about Quan in my own life, uh, I, I ask myself that question. And to me, Quan represents a fulfilling life and a fulfilling career. It's more than just making money. It means seeking fulfillment in every area of your career and life. It means being complete. And Shauna, I look at you with so much respect and admiration. You are so much more than a work partner to me. You are a friend. And when I look at you, I see Quan in your life and you've not let your career or the AARC dictate or define who you are. Eight years ago, you probably thought you were going to finish your career here, but you are so much bigger than that. And so when I ask myself the question, who's my ambassador, a Quan, which is what Rod Tidwell referred to Jerry, that, that answer is simple for me. That's you. And I thank you so much for all you've done for the association, for our members, for our staff, and for me personally. I get to knock on your door every day to commiserate, to gripe, to strategize, to talk about what we did over the weekend. And that is something that I will cherish forever. And while I know we will forever be friends, I will most important, uh, most importantly miss having you uh, as one of my closest and respected friends who I get to work with every day. We get the chance to make a difference in the way people breathe every day. And it's been my pleasure working side by side with you. I wish you the best of luck in your endeavor. I cannot wait until the day uh, in the future comes out when I hear the major announcement that you've become the executive director at the American Ep- Epilepsy Society. And um, I just want to say farewell to my ambassador, Aquan. Thank you, Doug. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, for listening today and for hearing about uh, Dr. Shauna Strickland's uh, adventures here at the ARC and what lies ahead for her. We look forward to, to inviting you back on our next podcast. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening to AARC Perspectives. Be sure to check out our show notes page for information about today's episode, as well as links to our other podcast episodes. Be sure to know when our next episode airs by subscribing to our podcast. Until next time, my friends, keep on supporting the respiratory therapy profession.